morning, friends. Good morning. Good morning. Our scripture reading will come from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. And the word of God reads, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. For there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe. And, it, and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and you have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. We are uh, again in the Gospel of John as we uh, journey through the Gospel of John. If you're uh, with us this morning, uh, for the first time we've been in John, or for the first time this year, we've been in John since the beginning of the year, and we are going to be in John for the entire year. Maybe with a few pauses like we did for Easter, but um, we, I was reminded yesterday of really the um, kind of the motivation behind studying the Gospel of John, and it was really a conversation about how easily it is that we in the church, uh, who've been a part of the church for any, any amount of time, how easily and quickly it becomes, um, that the Gospel becomes uh, familiar to us, not familiar in the sense that we know it, but familiar in the sense that it's common to us. Um, uh, and, and we, uh, we, we are, um, we, we lose our sense of amazement and, uh, and wonder, uh, at who God is and what God has done and, and God becomes familiar to us. Uh, and, and, and really since the beginning of the year, um, and, you know, personally as, as I started thinking about this and um, kind of during my uh, private times with, uh, with the scriptures, uh, kind of devotional times in the morning, uh, I've, been, I've been sitting with, with really two thoughts. Um, one is um, that the God of creation knows me, 
knows my name, like he hears me, (laughs) he listens to me, and he's concerned about my thoughts, and that's true for all of us. Um, And and then two, that's that's the one thought I've I've been sitting with really since the beginning of the year. And then then two, um, that the God of of creation has, has given us his word and like, People for thousands of years have read, like, this isn't, um, this isn't, uh, I don't know, who's a, who's a novel writer, right? This isn't some modern novel writer that just wrote a book that we are enjoying and reading and listening to on Audible or something like that, right? This is, like, people for thousands of years have been reading this, and, um, and coming to know that same God that knows them and um, listens to them and is, is concerned about them. And so uh, my, my prayer for us as a church was that as we get into the gospel of John, that we would come to know God anew, afresh, and that, uh, that we, he wouldn't become so common to us, um, but we would, we would come to know even the word of God made flesh, and, and we would learn to... Um, we would learn to treasure God at new levels, uh, deeper levels, uh, and, and really live like God is with us. So, um, so here we are in the Gospel of John, and, and, and uh, my, my prayer for us and for our church is that we will have a renewed sense of wonder at the God of creation who's given us his word, these scriptures, so that when we read it, we're not just reading it because that's what we're supposed to do, but we're reading it because, as Peter said to Jesus, um, there's life there, um, and that we'll discover that that's true in our own lives, that there's life there. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll get into our message this morning. Uh, God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to open um, to open your word that's written in, in book form, but it's not an ordinary book. God, we give you thanks that your words have been preserved for us and that we can hear them again and again and again. And my prayer is that as we hear them again and again and again, and as we memorize them and we become familiar with them, God, my prayer is that you won't become common to us Um, But every time we hear your word, we'll say, that's the voice of God spoken to me. That's life for me. And so, God, this morning, I pray that you will help us to understand your word so that we can understand how we can live into this new life we have in Christ Jesus, that we won't continue in the old way of life that leads only to death, destruction, dysfunction, but that we will walk into this newness of life that gives us hope and joy and peace and healing and restoration and reconciliation in Jesus' name. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so for the last, uh, for, the, for the last four weeks we've been in the Gospel of John. Well, this is our fourth week in the Gospel of John. John chapter, or not in the Gospel of John, but in John chapter 6. 
Uh, So John chapter 6 is the longest chapter in the Gospel of John, 71 verses. And what we've done with it is we've taken this one single teaching of Jesus that spans multiple days, and we've broken it into four different Sundays. And and I believe, and the more I began to study this scripture, I believe that John chapter 6 is a very pivotal moment in John's Gospel, and it's important for us, and I almost to some degree, I almost wish that we would have slowed down even more in this chapter so that we can get a grasp of what Jesus is saying to the church and teaching his church because we got to get what what Jesus is teaching in John chapter 6 in order for us to understand what it looks like for us to live faithfully as disciples of Jesus. So in the beginning of this chapter, we saw two different signs, if you remember, right? There was the um, uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then Jesus walks on water. These two stories that are emphasizing God's provision and God's presence, right? God's ability to provide for us and God's presence with us. And the two things we've seen, and, and we've, we've stated them in multiple different ways, and you could hear it in different ways, so there's no, uh, no, no right way, but what we see is that when problems are too big, right, uh, and provision is too small, God is enough, right? The scriptures are showing us through this multiplying the, uh, the, the, the two fish and the five loaves of bread and God feeding the 5,000. He wasn't just showing us some neat trick or just wasn't trying to get people to be full. Um, but but he, he was showing us that God is enough when the problems of life are too big, right? And, and, and provision is too, too small when we don't have what it takes. Um, it's a good place to stand, like as long as we're standing with the God of creation. Because in those moments, God is enough. And then we saw when life gets chaotic and it's out of our control. In fact, there's times in my life, and this is just the way I do things, right? I'm always trying to get control of things, right? If things seem to get out of control in my life, I'll go buy a book that tells me how to fix it, how to get it right. I'll go ask people, talk to people. But the scriptures are showing us when life is chaotic and things are out of our control, when storms blow over unforeseen sometimes and the waves are covering our head, that God in those moments, right, the God of creation, his presence is with us, and God is enough. And then last week, we saw the first of the I am statements in the Gospel of John, where Jesus speaks this word. He says, I am the bread of life. And it's really a throwback to Exodus chapter 3, when God first spoke that to Moses, if you remember, right? In that story where the Israelites were in slavery, and, and, um, and God called Moses uh, to go stand before Pharaoh and declare to him to let God's people go. If you remember that story, go back and read it in Exodus chapter 3, uh, because God challenged Moses to do something that he was unqualified for, right? Something that he didn't have the skill or the ability to do. Something that ultimately was impossible for him to do. And when Moses says, well, who am I supposed to say sent me? And, uh, and, and, and God says to him through, through a burning bush, he says, I am, right? I, I am, I am sent you. I, I am enough. I am what what you need. And so in John chapter 6, we're hearing this message over and over again through the feeding of the 5,000 to the Jesus walking on water to Jesus explaining what just happened, saying, I am. He's saying, I am enough in times of trouble, in times of inadequacy, in times where you just don't have what it takes. God is saying to us, I am enough. 
And that's an important message for us. And, yeah, and I, I want to slow down here and just for us to sit with that for, for just a moment. Um, and maybe even reflect over what's going on in your own life. And how, how you need God to be enough. It's a, it's a good message for us. And, it, and it's true. And, and we only discover that it's true when we, when we trust God in those moments. God is enough. Now, why I think this chapter of John is so important is because John is... Um, he's addressing one of the greatest challenges I think that's facing the church today. On the one hand, he does, he wants us to accept God as being enough in our times of difficulty and in our times of trial and in our times of trouble. When the storms blows over, he wants us to accept God as, 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 as enough. But one of the greatest challenges that the church in America is facing today is his unwillingness to be uncomfortable, particularly uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel, right? The, the church right of today is, is um, yeah, it's the greatest challenge we face is this unwillingness to be uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel because we live in this world where it's all about our comfort, um, from uh, and and I, you know I'm thinking about I was thinking this week about different things that kind of are, are, are built around our comfort. Uh, you know, one of the things I love um, this is this is odd I know, um, but but Haynes has these. And I'm not talking about underwear again, but Haynes has these little tagless T-shirts where they've now printed like the, the little tag and instruction on the. T- I used to oh my goodness I used to hate tags on my T-shirts and then I would cut them off and then once you wash them and dry them and the tags get kind of sharp edges and then they get scratchy and then you discover that cutting them off didn't work and then I would try to rip them off and then I would rip a hole in my shirts. How annoying is that, right? Even uh, Hanes t-shirts have become more comfortable to programmable thermostats that know when you walk in a room and when you walk out a room and have it the temperature just right for you when you get home. Our society is built around our comfort. Everything in our world is all about our comfort. Stores have certain lighting and certain uh, the way they decorate and organize things so that when we go in stores we will feel comfortable and maybe spend more money and we don't recognize that our whole world is kind of um, uh, eager for making us more comfortable. In the church in America or um, America has become infatuated with comfort and this is so destructive in the church because sometimes our craving for more comfortable settings prevents us from saying yes to the gospel and so there's this huge problem in our society and it's that we crave to be comfortable and we're unwilling to be comfortable even for the sake 
of the gospel. And so when we get to chapters like John chapter 6, we say, like, we, we read this, and, and I'm guilty of this, and we're all guilty of this, and this is true, but it's not just, this isn't the only thing that's true, right? We read the scripture and we say, okay, when, um, like, when, when my money's run out, right, and when I find myself in a hole financially, God is enough, right? Or, or when, when we don't have enough food on the, on the tables, right, God is enough, or when I've lost my job, I'm trusting God to be enough when these uh, times of uh, inadequate provision come upon me maybe suddenly and unexpected I'm all of a certain all of a sudden uh, driven to my knees because I need God in that moment to be enough I need him to be my comforter or when um, when things get chaotic real quick and it feels like a storm has come into my life and I did not see this one coming and I've tried to get control of it. I went to Barnes and Noble or Amazon, got two day delivery on a book that was to tell me how to fix my finances or fix my relationships and that didn't work. Now I'm turning to God, driven to my knees because the scriptures tell me and the preacher God is enough and I need Him to be my my um, I need Him to be my comforter. And so we've, we've um, because of our society and the way that our society is so revolved around our comfort, we become a church that reads the scriptures as though God is the holy almighty comforter, right? That, that is what God is all about, making us more comfortable in this life. And what ends up happening is that we exclude ourselves from some of the powerful things that God wants to do because saying yes to God is going to call us into uncomfortable places. And we're reading the scriptures through this lens of a world that's all about our comfort and has shaped us and influenced us and formed us into people who desire comfort sometimes more than anything else. And when this happens, we inevitably begin to treat our faith, we inevitably begin to treat our faith like an insurance policy. I was, I was thinking this week, as, um, and I, I don't know what was happening, I think we were engaging in some real good conversation this week. It was, uh, I, it was me and boy Jamie and girl Jamie, uh, and we were, we were back here in my office on Monday morning. We have kind of our staff meetings. On, i got to find a better name for them. We're going to start calling Jamie James. Um, James. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, so we, we were back here in my office for our Monday morning staff meeting. And it started raining. Um, and, and, um, and, uh, it, and it was raining. I mean, it was, it, you know, it, when it really starts raining, we come out here and we see if the steeple is leaking. It, we, nobody came out here to see if the steeple was leaking, so it wasn't raining that bad. Um, so, so, but it was raining. Um, but then we, we leave the church, and there were, um, there were storms had come, right? Uh-huh. Was that Thursday? Oh, yeah, it was Thursday. All right. My days get mixed up. Thursday. Yeah, we were back here Thursday. We were, yeah, yeah. Normally we meet on Monday, so that's why I was, we don't all three get together on Thursday. Um, but yeah, it was Thursday. Thanks for that correction. Can we edit that out? Um, <laughs> the people on the internet can't know that I make mistakes, right? Um, I, so, um, 
so yeah, so it was Thursday, and so we were here. And I don't know if y'all remember that storm. And maybe, and I said maybe we were engaged in some good conversation because here's what happened: we left. There were limbs all over the parking lot. There was a tree that was down up the street. There was a tree down on Aura Drive up the street. Nobody had electricity. There was a tree by Park Lane that was down. And I'm like, what in the world happened? Uh, but but here's the deal: um, those storms come, and and, and very rarely does a storm, and I got 15 pine trees in my yard. My yard is small. I live in East Point. I live in a small yard. I got 15 pine trees in my yard. Very rarely, if ever, do I go, I hope a, a tree doesn't fall on my house. Like very rarely do I worry about that because I have insurance that will cover that. Very rarely am I going, I don't know if I can pay like, for a new roof if a tree. If I, I'm like, yeah, if a, if a tree falls on my house, a new roof, new roof, saving some money. That's, that's the way I think, right? Um, because that's the way insurance works, right? It covers those kinds of things so we don't have to worry. You all know everybody's getting free roofs today, right? <laughs> I, I need a new roof. My friends are like, don't pay for one. You know everybody getting free roofs. And I'm like, don't you got insurance? <laughs> uh, that's what everybody keeps saying to me. Uh, and so, I, yeah, I'm going, I'm not worried when the storm comes because I have insurance. And so, but this faith that treats God as the holy, almighty comforter ultimately treats our faith like a good insurance policy, right? Like a good neighbor. Jesus is there, right? I mean, that doesn't really work, right? You're in good, better hands, maybe, but that doesn't really work. But what, what happens, though, you know, and it is funny, um, but it's the truth, right? Um, God becomes our insurance so that we, um, ultimately, we can, um, our life becomes like an equation, and we're pursuing the things we desire, and, and, and God just becomes a part of the equation, right? He just becomes a piece, piece of the puzzle, a part of getting us where we want to be. Like, so our goals are set, right? Our ambitions are set. Our hopes and dreams are set. Our habits are already formed. The things we like to do, those things are already in place. And, and we just kind of want to bring God in. It's kind of like an insurance policy so that things go wrong while I chase my dreams, right? As things go wrong while I pursue the career that I set for myself, as things go wrong as I build a family that I really ultimately wanted for myself, as things go wrong as I, um, as I get married to the love of my life, if things get wrong, go wrong during those times. I got God who's an insurance policy so that these storms come or lack of provision come. I can pray to him and maybe he'll fix it because the preacher told me that God is enough. And that's not the kind of God that John is imagining for us, um, that John is teaching us about in John chapter 6. God is not our insurance policy, nor is he just the almighty comforter. In fact, when we get in John chapter 6, what we begin to see um, is something quite different, and that's that God is more concerned with our calling than he is with our comfort. That God is more concerned with what he's calling us to do than with us being comfortable. <laughs> um, and, and this light bulb went off in the disciples' heads as Jesus was teaching in John chapter 6. 
because um, they've seen them do all kinds of stuff, right? There's this water in the wine thing, and they're like, that's pretty good, right? And there's this healing stuff that begins to happen, and they're like, whoa, I can roll with this Jesus, right? And then there's the, um, the, the bread, you know, he feeds the 5,000, and they're like, this is, right, this is better. Like, I can, I can deal with this, right? Um, a wine, bread, healing. Then he's walking on water and calming a storm, uh, I, yep, yeah, you know, I mean, it's almost like a checklist, right? I can follow him. I can dig it. I can roll with him. Uh, th- this, this is going to make my life exponentially uh, better. But then this light bulb goes off as Jesus begins to teach about this, and they become, um, it begins to get uh, painfully clear that God is more concerned with what he's calling them to do and not just with their comfort. In fact, let's, let's pick up... Um, John chapter 6, verse 57. Uh, This is a little bit before where we uh, read for this morning. So in John chapter 6, verse 57, listen to what it says. It says, as the living, this is what Jesus Jesus was teaching. That was kind of the end of his his teaching there. Um, But he says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, it's a little creepy, right? We'll just pause right there and just admit that, Jesus' language there is a little creepy, a little, little strange, um, but, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that. Um, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. Uh, this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So this is the end of kind of what Jesus is teaching before he has this kind of breakdown where the disciples' light bulbs go on in their head. And, you know, just as we pay attention to kind of the grammatical construction, right, there's this as, right, as the Father, living Father sent me, then he says, so he who eats me will also live. So he's saying, as I am living, right, I'm the one who eats me, right? And, and this eat thing is, again, going back to Exodus, when God through, um, uh, God through Moses released the Israelites from slavery in, in Egypt, right? They ate this manna in the wilderness, which satisfied their stomach, but ultimately wasn't able to keep them alive forever, Um, And so what Jesus is saying is that that bread was inadequate in that it was not the living bread. It wasn't the bread of life, um, the bread that gives life eternal. But only that bread, Jesus is pointing back to, is an illustration of something that came from God, not the bread of life. And Jesus is saying, I am, though, the bread of life. And the one who eats me, right, follows in my ways. Let's just roll with it that way. I'm the one who who chooses to follow in my way, accept me as sufficient for their lives, uh, accept me as being enough, right? That person has now accepted um, the bread of life. Uh, Unlike the bread in the wilderness, this bread will allow you to live forever. And so he's saying, yeah, this one that, you know, to use a word that we use commonly, this one a phrase that we use commonly, um, the one who accepts Jesus as, as Lord, the one who accepts his ways, puts their hopes and trust in him, and walks in the way that he walks, accepts him as Lord, that person will ultimately live forever because he is now eaten of the bread of, of life. And so, so Jesus here is beginning 
to, to challenge the disciples. And this light bulb is going on in their head because they're looking at the way Jesus is living. Um, they only wanted to benefit from Jesus' life, but they didn't want to walk in the ways that Jesus was walking. Right? They didn't want to be the one who was calling people out into repentance like Jesus in the temple. And they started seeking his life. Right? They didn't want to be the one who lived in opposition with those around him. Right? They, they, I mean, people at this point, early in Jesus' ministry, people are already trying to kill him. Right? And so everybody's saying, well, I wanted the bread. Right? I wanted the wine. I wanted the healing. But I didn't want to follow in your footsteps. But the disciples, because that's uncomfortable, but the disciples are beginning to recognize that what Jesus is calling them to is not just to receive his benefits, but that those benefits come as we follow him, like as we walk in his footsteps. And that's fundamentally an uncomfortable way of living our life. When Christ calls us, he does not call us to a life of comfort and ease. And, and, and I'm, and I guess, yeah, and I'm, and I'm, yeah, and I'm, and I'm sorry if that's the gospel that's been preached to you, but, but I, I challenge you this morning to take a step back um, and, and hear the teachings of Scripture, that the way of Christ was the way of the cross, right? And it was a way of self-sacrifice and giving of oneself. And when Jesus says, come and follow me, he's calling us to follow in the way of the cross which leads to pain and hardship and suffering and mockery and bitterness and trial and, and, and feelings of abandonment. But ultimately and finally experiences of joy that overwhelm those feelings of abandonment and experiences of pleasure that overwhelm the feeling of emptiness and hardship and Feelings of security that overwhelm the sacrifice that took us to get there. It's the way of the cross, which is never a way of ease. And so for the disciples, they're beginning to hear Jesus teach this, that you're going to have to follow in my footsteps. And some of the disciples are checked out for that moment. They're, they, um, uh, the, the imagery that I, uh, I haven't been there in a long time, but y'all, y'all, um, it is still a thing, right? Oh, Charlie's. There's just no old Charlie's around. I'm glad there's no old Charlie's around here. You that bread, you know, there those rolls. Man, I can eat those rolls. Not, I guess red lobster is just about as good, but it's kind of a different kind of bread. Um, but those rolls nonstop, I, you know, I just imagine the disciples are like, I was just here for old Charlie's, right? I don't want to walk in your footsteps, right? I just wanted the bread. I don't want to pay the bill, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I always wonder if you could go to those places and like, just sit there and drink water and like get the rolls and then get up and go. I'm not that kind of person, so I never really figured out whether you could. Um, but they're like, I was just there for the bread, right? I was just there for the bread. And so some of the disciples, look in verse 59. It says, uh, these things he said to them, right? This is where he's teaching them, as I live, so you are to live. And, um, it says, as he said these things to them in the synagogue, um, uh, uh, these things he said to them in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? So disciples are going, um, not this is difficult to understand, this is harsh, this is, this is hard, this is not what I signed up for. 
is, is ultimately what they're saying. And then as you drop down a little bit in verse 61, it says, But Jesus, conscious that the disciples were grumbling at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So Jesus is going, hey, does this cause you to stumble? And, 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 and then he says, like, what if you see me going back, like me ascending into heaven, right, where I was before, going back home into, into heaven. So really what he's going is, um, all right, so John the Baptist, y'all remember John the Baptist, we talked about him. John the Baptist proclaimed that Jesus was the one who was sent from God, sent from heaven, God's chosen, sent one, sent from heaven that came with this message for God's people. And so Jesus was teaching the people. People are still looking at Jesus, and they're going, well, we, we, get that, yeah, we get that John the Baptist said you were sent from God, but you look just like me, right? You look like another man, you look like a human. So we don't, we don't quite believe that um, is what some of the disciples are doing. And Jesus says, like, what if you see me going back to heaven, right? What if you just see me just, woo, just going back up into the sky, right? What, what if you see that? So, all right, so you got John the Baptist that said um, that he's sent from heaven. Now he's here. He's walking on the earth. Like, what if you see me right there before your eyes just going right back up, right? And you're just standing there watching, right? Would you then believe? And so he, he, he's challenging them, right? Because he's saying, hey, I am that one that was sent from heaven. And then in verse, verse um, 63, he says, it is the spirit who gives life, right? It is um, the spirit of God that gives life. The flesh profits nothing, but the words I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. So he's saying, like, what if you just saw me just kind of going back up? And I can do that because I'm God in the flesh. And my words are the words of the spirit and life. But if I couldn't do that, like if I just couldn't just going back up, and I was just mere flesh, the flesh profits nothing. In other words, if, if Wesley comes and he tells you, hey, y'all, this isn't in the Bible, but I say um, this is a good principle for you to live your life by, unless I can just, whoom, just going back up to heaven, right, then don't put any weight in that, right, or don't put, the, don't put biblical weight on that. I'm not, I'm not God. Right? I'm just preaching God's word. If I, if I show up at Tri-Cities Church and I'm like, hey, y'all, uh, this thing right here served its purpose, but it's not good anymore. Uh, and so we're just going to roll with something different, right? some new philosophy, some new teaching. And, and I can't just, like, go back up to heaven. Right? D don't put any weight in that, right? Um, because um, Jesus was the word of God become flesh from heaven. His word held a different kind of weight than the weight of flesh, right? Um, and so Jesus is saying to them, um, flesh profits, profits nothing. Ultimately, he's saying that teachings that are founded on the principles of this world, ultimately and in the end, have very little value. And so you can have your, um, this is what Jesus would say if you were here today, I think. I think he would say you could have your seven habits of highly effective people, right? Um, 
you, you can have your um, uh, uh, books that tell you about how to live a happy life and, um, you know, and books that, that teach you about, you know, confidence and boldness and self, all this self-help stuff. You can have your tools of titans and all this different stuff, these books that are teaching you all these good principles that you can apply to your life. But if those words aren't from the Spirit, ultimately they profit nothing. But the words of the Spirit are life, and that's what we stake our life on. He's not saying, um, Jesus is not saying seven habits of uh, a highly effective people isn't a good thing for you to read. But he's saying it just doesn't carry the same weight in your life. Life as the word that God has given us because the spirit is life, is what Jesus says. And so the way that Jesus is calling us to live, even when it live, leads us to uncomfortable places and uncomfortable situations, outweighs everything else in our society that is teaching us how to live a life that is more comfortable and that makes us happy. And, and something happens with the disciples, and I, I want to back up a, a few verses. Something happens with the disciples, and that's that they rightly discern that what God is calling them to do is impossible. That Jesus has just stood before them and instructed them and taught them to do something that is fundamentally impossible for humans to do. Like, let's let that sink in for a minute. Um, that Jesus isn't saying, do this, right? Because uh, tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're just going to, you're like, you're going to get up and you're going to pull out your journal and planner and you're going to plan out your day and you're just going to crush your day. Like Jesus isn't saying that, right? He's not this motivational speaker that's saying you can do it, right? Put all your button to it, right? He, he's not saying that, right? Um, that's not what Jesus is doing, right? He's teaching us something that's fundamentally impossible for us to do. Um, in and of ourselves. And so he's preaching this deep and abiding and ongoing dependence on God. In fact, I think Jesus would say if he were with us today that if your life and what God is calling you to do is fully possible apart from your dependence upon God and His indwelling Holy Spirit, then it's quite possible that you aren't living the life that God is calling you to do, to live. Because the life that God calls us to is only possible by the power of God and the work of God's Spirit within us. So if we back back a couple of verses, there's these verses that um, I just want to read them and then I want to uh, kind of explain them and not go too deep into them because of time. All right, so if you back back to verse uh, 37, listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 6. He says, all that the Father gives me, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. 
So he's saying, hey, all that the Father gives me, right, all, all these people that, that come to me, right, I, I'm not going to cast them out. I'm, I'm going to accept them. I'm going to embrace them. So all who choose to become my disciples, I'm going to, I'm going to embrace them. I'm going to love them. I'm, I'm not going to reject them. I'm going to walk with them through life. And in verse, verse 30, uh, 39, listen to what it says there. And we're going to just jump through a few verses. It says, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. So he's saying, all those who've come to me, I'm going to, I'm going to ensure that they continue to walk with me. So all that God has given me, all those who come to me and choose to be my disciples, I'm going to walk with them, and I'm not going to lose them, right? Nothing can take you. There's that Romans verse, right? Nothing can snatch them out of my hands. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, right? That nothing can snatch them out of my hand. If you drop down a little bit further, verse 44, so all right, so he's not going to cast them out, right? He's not going to lose them. There's nothing in this world that can separate us from him. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, all right, so we're, we're building a little bit here, if you see where we're going, right? Verse 37, he says, those who come to me, right, those who become my disciples, I'm not going to reject them, right? I'm going to show grace. I'm going to accept you. I'm going to love you, uh, and, and we're going to walk together into this newness of life. Um, those who come to me, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. I'm not going to lose you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, all right? Then those who come to me, um, the Father is going to continue to draw them closer to me and into my life and way of living. So here's a turn, right? It's not just saying, all right, you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, but he's kind of making this turn and saying, all right, what, what accepting Jesus as Lord means for your life is, um, is something that is impossible for you to do in and of your own strength. And so the Father is going to have to do this work in your life of drawing you into the will of Jesus Christ. And then if you look even down further in the verse section that we're in today, verse 65, and he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you, that no one can come to me unless it's been granted him from the Father. Unless the Father is at work in his life. You see, what Jesus is laying out for us is the impossibility of following Jesus without trusting him as Lord and Savior and the one who strengthens us and gives us the ability to follow him. So, so when we see the scriptures through, um, through this lens, this God who's calling us into difficult and uncomfortable places, a God that's calling us to a faith that's impossible in and of our own strength, It brings home the importance of having daily practices that remind us that we're deeply dependent on God. Daily practices that remind us that if we're not deeply dependent on God, then it's not the God of creation that we're following. Daily practices that remind us 
that it's impossible to follow Jesus in and of myself and with my own strength. This is a different kind of life. And unless we're hearing the fullness of the gospel and it's teaching that God wants to do beyond ordinary with your life, with our lives. God wants to do beyond ordinary. God wants to do the impossible with our lives. Right? We got to hear that gospel and then we got to hear that that means I must be deeply dependent on him. And when we get that, then opening the Bible and reading the scriptures is not about me gaining some uh, information or knowledge about God, but it is my practice of dependence upon God, my moments and times in prayer responding to the God that is spoken to me through the scriptures. is not just me following some ritual or doing something that the church or the preacher told me I should do, but I'm learning to deeply depend on God, me having silent times in the morning when all I do is rise and say, God, I sit before you and I need your strength today. That's not just something that I'm doing because a spiritual discipline is solitude, but it's saying I can't live the life that God is calling me to do unless I sit before the God of creation and allow him to be my strength. And the scriptures are calling us to have this devoted life, but not this devotional life because that's somehow some religion that is teaching us that you do these practices and you're right with God. is not about that religion that's teaching us those practices get you right with God, but it's about a recognition that that God has pursued a relationship with us. And in relationship with him, we're deeply dependent upon him every single day. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with just sitting before the presence of of God and allowing God to be our strength, focusing and meditating on the God who made this place and who can remake some things in our lives. I think what John wants Jesus' disciples, and that would be us, the church today, what he's challenging us to do is give God an unqualified yes. Um, yes to, to whatever it is that God might call us to. And yes, that may be uncomfortable. And yes, that may be challenging. And yes, it will be impossible for you. And yes, you will go, I am not qualified for that. I can't do that. I've never imagined that for my life. I've never maybe even wanted that for my life, right? I never imagined that I would be saying yes to this. Um, but God wants us to give him an unqualified yes. And what happens all too often in our society is the yes we give God is, God is followed up by, uh, by an if, and this, this is how it's rolled in my life all the way through. And, um, I, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I just had a weird thought. I was like, man, maybe God probably wants to cut my tongue out. Because I'm like, yes, God, if 
right? Uh, it's just the way I roll, right? Um, I, yes, God, if, if all the pieces fall into place, God, I'll, I'll say yes to you, right? Uh, or yes, God, if is just not too dangerous or risky or scary or uncomfortable. Yes, yes, God, if I can afford it and see how I can afford it and my current lifestyle and the things I like to pursue and enjoy, like, yes, God, if... Um, and God wants us to give him this unqualified yes. Yeah, and, and stepping back to, and, and um, I, w- I wasn't planning on going here, so I don't know the verse, but there's that verse in Luke, and I believe it's in Matthew. Um, you can Google it. It'll tell you where it is. Um, where Jesus says, count the cost, right, before you say yes. Mm. I think he's saying, yeah, count the cost before you say yes, because God doesn't want your yes, God, if. The life of faith begins when we say yes, God. Every step of the life of faith must be marked with a yes, God, period. It's easy for me to stand here and say that. (laughs) But I don't want to just stand here and say that. I want us to recognize how difficult that is. And and so this morning, I guess I want to challenge you to say, I want to challenge you to count the cost, right? Um, And it's it's not count the cost as in like, you know, um, you're paying something. But I want to challenge you to to, to count the cost because Jesus is holding this out for us, right? He's holding out... um, the way of salvation before us. And it's, it's going to cost you something in this world. Right? It, it's going to require time of you. It, it, it's going to require you to walk in uncomfortable places. It, it's going to require you surrendering yourself in every way to, to Jesus Christ and whatever he may be calling you to do. But that yes to Jesus is not like running on a hamster wheel, putting our all into something and going nowhere. That yes to Jesus leads somewhere. And and in fact, Peter recognizes this in John chapter 6. We're going to close right here. Um, Listen to what what Peter says um, when Jesus said, Uh, It says, as a result, many of his disciples withdrew. This is verse 66. As as a result, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away also? Do you? So he's kind of like, you know, they left. Do you want to leave too? Uh, And then listen to what Peter says. Verse 68, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom 
shall we go. You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He's saying everything else is meaningless, right? Anything else is like running on a hamster wheel, burning our energy, feeling like we're going somewhere, but ultimately going nowhere. But you have the words of eternal life. And so when Jesus says count the cost, he's not saying um, see how much this is going to cost you, right? He's saying Uh, Do you want to run on a hamster wheel? Or do you want to live a life of meaning and significance that ultimately is going somewhere? When heard that way, it's pretty clear what our answer should be. This morning, um, I'm going to be back at the next steps table. And uh, Kim will be back there too, I guess. Uh, she'll be back there with me. She'll join me. Um, and Brian, he won't be back there. He'll be playing um, <laughs> keyboards. Um, but we'll, we'll be back there. And um, I, I would love to, if, if you've never counted the cost and, and made a decision to walk with Jesus, make today the day that you count those costs. And you decide today whether you want to run on the hamster wheel of life or live a life of significance and meaning. A life that begins with a yes to God. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that that you give us the words of life and the opportunity to say yes. And God, we we thank you that you don't just say, you don't just pressure us into a decision, but you call us to count the cost and to say yes to you. And so God, today I'm sure there's someone in this room that's counting the cost that's considering giving you a yes. And God, I just pray that we'll be able to walk with them into that yes. But God, also, there are those of us who have said yes and are now like your disciples, recognizing how difficult that yes is and how uncomfortable that yes is. And we're reconsidering our yes because we don't see where the provisions coming from and and we don't see how we'll be able to continue in this yes and it's just gotten to be more than we could bear and God I pray for your strength I pray for your power upon them upon us, that we will be be able to persevere in our yes, and that we will live into eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.